Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to a very special episode of the Steam Cleaners podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. I am your host uh, on this show where we talk about uh, games that we've played over the last two weeks. And when I say we, I am, of course, referring to my lovely co-host, Walter C.A.D.'s Fetchuk. Walter, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm doing very well. As we are uh, recording this, we have had uh, had a bunch of snow up here in upstate New York, which makes me the happiest person on the planet. I'm not a skier. I'm not a snowboarder. I just like snow. So even even though, let's see, as we're recording, we had a storm, I want to say now like two weeks ago. Um, we still have a good, you know, eight inches of snow on the ground. And a bomb cyclone is about to hit the East Coast and is going to deposit anywhere from zero to 20 inches on New York City and, and uh, southern New England. So while that doesn't affect me up here in upstate New York, it's going to make work a living hell. It will make some things a lot more difficult. That is true. I'm, I mean, I would hope that you would enjoy snow, given that you live in upstate New York. It'd be a real bummer to, to hate snow in that part of the world. I like snow for like a day. Like a day of snow where I get to look in and it's, oh, it's so pretty. This is great. Love it. Uh, snow just turns to ice too quick. And I, uh, as my sister once said, have the reflexes of a dead cow and coordination to match. And it just doesn't go well with me. I, I make a fool of myself very quickly. Um, but, you know, we're not here to talk about our snow habits and our ability to not injure ourselves while interacting with it. We're here to talk about video games. And last time around, uh, Walter, you talked about going under a uh, satirical send-up of the uh, startup culture uh, and a nice roguelike. And I talked about Danganronpa. Uh, and I'm going to still kind of be talking about Danganronpa, but Walter, you played something entirely different. What did you play this last week? Well... I know you said we weren't going to talk about snow anymore, but uh, yeah, no, we're going to talk about snow some more because I played a city building survival video game, Frostpunk, developed and published by 11-Bit Studios, uh, where basically it is an alternative history, uh, kind of cyber, uh, kind of um, steampunky, uh, where basically a uh, the Earth uh, has frozen and turned to a giant popsicle, and you are surviving in the Arctic wastes uh it's got a lot of snowpiercer vibes uh kind of to like the setting and and sort of philosophy around it um but this is a game um that came out uh back in 2018 and it has been on my my list of games that i've wanted to play for a very long time mainly because of the setting maybe maybe because of the plot points of sort of uh, being similar to uh snowpiercer and um, man, I'm, I really, really, really wanted to like this game. And I bet if I had a lot more time in my life to dedicate to it and to get really good at it, I would really love this game. Um, but the sort of like five hours that I put into it, I really, I really struggled. I got to basically kept getting to the same part of the, the game and the plot and kept failing. And when you only have a limited amount of time to try and play a game and, um, you know, 
come up with opinions about it and then discuss it. I, I'm not going to say I'm a video games journalist or reviewer or anything like that, but sort of doing this project and playing a game that is, is pretty hard from what I have uh, sort of gleaned from just, I mean, if you look up Frostpunk, one of the suggestions, the first suggestions from Google is why is Frostpunk so hard? Um, <laughs> I mean, it gives me a newfound kind of respect for those people that have to try and jam games into, you know, 10 hour sessions or whatever, so they can write a review once a week. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this was the wrong style of game for sort of this project and for sort of what I have been looking out, uh, looking for in sort of the video games I play, because it feels like it's very min maxi. It is very, um, it is very focused on trying to figure out what the most efficient thing to do is and trying to balance all of these resources. And, you know, the first part of the game is pretty straightforward. You're just balancing, you know, food and wood and steel and fuel. And, and that's like a very kind of binary sort of balance of like, you need coal, build more coal production, like go, go mine more coal. It's very straightforward, very simple. And then uh, an event happens in the game where you, uh, your scouts have gone out to find another potential city that exists. Uh, you find out that the city has been devastated uh, and doesn't exist anymore, and they're all dead, and your populace, um, their their hope kind of breaks, and you are given a choice of which path are you going to follow to sort of lead your people through this, this hopeless situation, and you can either choose order, which is very um, uh, dictatorial and very, like, you know, uh, strength and, and uh, hope through work and order and structure and then the other one which is faith which is hope through religion and belief and so on and so forth and i tried both paths and when that sort of happens the other mechanic of the game that has existed prior to then but really sort of starts to get into you know mode now is balancing hope and discontent and between either situation i just had a really really hard time figuring out how to balance both of those and picking the right tech and building the right buildings and getting it all to like maintain itself so that it wasn't that I was running out of the like resources. It was that this hope and discontent kept getting out of whack. And I just, once it started falling off the cliff, I just couldn't figure out how to get it back. And I know there's going to be some like optimal way to play the game guide out there on Reddit or on the Steam forums. And to me, that feels like cheating. That doesn't feel like really playing the game if I just go find out how somebody else played it. Um, it's sort of like Monster Prom in that way. It's like, okay, if I have to read a guide for literally everything about the game, why don't I just watch somebody else play it? Uh, if you kind of get what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, I, I will say, uh, I have tried to play Frostpunk before. Um, and I found one, uh, the tutorial does not cover nearly enough to get you in a position where you feel comfortable with the game's mechanics. Uh, I, I don't feel like it is nearly as thorough as it would need to be to make things a little bit easier. To the extent, you know, to a certain extent, right, we live in a world in which engaging with other fans on forums to get guides to have um 
you know, these kinds of interactions and this kind of uh, game outside of the game is somewhat encouraged. But when it's required in order to understand a game's mechanics, it gets a little bit less fun, you know? Uh, and it is very tough. And to a certain extent, that's like, you know, it, it's a survival game in that kind of environment, right? Like, of course, it would be difficult. But it seems like it's ramped up even from their previous game, This War Is Mine, which is what I know the studio for mostly, um, which seemed to have uh, at least a little bit more downtime in order to do things and, and kind of manage your, uh, you know, you weren't planning an entire city, right? You were just trying to keep a few people and, and, and had it on that, you know, kind of survivor level. Um, if you, I guess, have you played other sort of like city survival games? Is this a genre that you you feel like uh, you have a, a kind of a comfort in? Uh, where or, or do you think that this is um, a genre that you have a hard time engaging with? Um, I think it's a genre I have very little experience with. I know I have played some of uh, this War of Mine, which is the the other sort of game that Eleven Bit Studios is really known for. Um, but no, like I wouldn't say that this sort of like survival city builder is something that's really in my wheelhouse. Which again is like part of this project is like I don't want to play games that is like right in my wheelhouse because if it was I'd be talking about Madden 22 today like I wouldn't be talking <laughs> about these sort of other um you know other types of games and like Frostpunk what really drew it to me is like again I really liked the plot I liked the setting I liked the idea of it I know that this was a game back in 2018 that was really hyped up and really talked about and a lot of people really did enjoy it and that's why, like, my opinion on it comes from, like, I don't have the time or the energy to go in and, like, struggle through it for hours and hours on end to pick, like, the best, um, the best, most efficient way to play the game. Like, the last run that I had, I actually was doing pretty well, but then the, like, temperature mechanics of the game punished me because... I built my my hothouses, which are a food mechanic, too far away from the, the core generator, and I couldn't get them to warm up enough to put anyone in there to make food. So I was like always running out of food, and that would make people discontent. And then all of a sudden, I started running out of um running out of coal because then i didn't have enough workers to work in like the coal plant and i i use one of the automatons to try and like keep the coal production going but then when you run out of coal and you can't run the generator then the automaton can't and that's that i know is like the core thought of the game and, and games similar to it is that it is sitting on this precipice where if one it's a it's it's dominoes where one thing finally starts to fail it's going to cause everything to fail. And it is very, very, very difficult to come back from that sort of tipped, you know, that first domino falling without massively, like, just super investing into something. Like, I know at some points, probably what I should have done is I should have just built another, like, I should have demolished something and built another hothouse closer to the core. That way I could have handled it. 
I should have taken my second automaton and put it in my other coal mine and not had it harvesting steel. But then I'm going to run into a steel shortage where I'm trying to be building other things. And it just, it's this constant barrage of choices and decisions and balancing all of these different mechanics that I feel like sort of how the game is built is that you eventually can figure out the pattern and sort of know when things are going to happen. Like that last playthrough that I had, I postponed going to that city to find out it was destroyed as long as I possibly could to try and accelerate myself through the tech tree, to try and get to the point where, because I also know when that happens, then the temperatures start to drop more dramatically over the course of the you know the days as they go and when it comes when the temperature comes up it doesn't come back up you know nearly as hot because that's like that's like the end of sort of like the tutorial round of your run is like cool now you're going to get into everything we open up the the um the faith or order choice and those laws and everything starts to you know progress from there so i tried to push that choice off as long as possible to set myself up for success but I expanded too much and now I had way too much coal production coal consumption that then by the time I realized like hey I got to shut off all this extraneous stuff that's not contributing to anything right now it was already too late and I the dominoes had tipped you know 20 minutes prior and I just didn't know it and I am also someone who tends to stay away from games that I know are difficult period because i don't have a lot of patience i don't like dark souls i look at the dark souls series and i go i would love to play that that seems really interesting like really cool i love the design elements i love the setting i love the ideas and then i watch someone play it on stream and see them ram their head into a wall for four hours and make no progress and i go that's not for me, folks. I, I good for you that you're willing to sit there for four <laughs> hours and do the same like thirty second run over and over and over again. But I, I'm good. It, it's the it's the Jerry Seinfeld gif getting out of the theater, being like, "Nah, nah, I'm good. That that's not my thing." And unfortunately, that's sort of what I ran into with this game. Is I kind of got to the point where I was like, "This is too difficult for the energy that I'm willing to allot it. I'm not having fun." I'm going to stop playing it. And then I went to go play Going Under and I finally beat the final boss on that. And that's when I tweeted out, you know, that that episode, me quote tweeting it and saying like, oh yeah, and today I finally beat the final boss. Because that was a game that while it was challenging, I had fun with it. It was entertaining. The runs, it didn't feel like I put so much effort into a run ultimately to fail. It was quick. Whereas this, these were like half hour to 45 minute sessions and then I failed. I was like, well, that sucked. You have to be perfect in a game like that. The game demands perfection. And for some people, that's the appeal, right? The idea of figuring out what this game wants from me and figuring out how to do it exactly the way that it wants. In every scenario, you have to change up your strategy because new variables are introduced into it that make things different. And you have to make those adjustments, and that's the that's the fun. the The difficulty uh, and overcoming that difficulty is the reward. It's 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 a satisfying that you didn't let the game beat you. 
And there is some value in that, I am sure. But I agree with you. I, I'm at a point in my life, I just don't have enough time to run my head into a wall. And, and honestly, I, I, I think I appreciate games that value my time uh, a lot nowadays. Games that recognize that um, they have an experience that they want you to have. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I want to play everything on easy mode. You know, I, I, I'm very much, I'm team normal all the way. I, I very rarely, if ever, play on hard um, because I just want to get the, the most out of the experience while having a little bit of a challenge, right? Um, and there is no way of doing that with Frostpunk, it sounds like. You're either getting it perfect or you're going to fail. And because all of these decisions compound on each other, it's not like you could just go back to a previous save and be fine. Um, and I, I think that that makes it tough. Um, I, I do, uh, to kind of to put a final note on your um, difficulty comment, uh, it is amazing. It's like, uh, you know, 13 things that make the game so difficult is on Game Rant. And I got to be honest, I don't see Game Rant going up to 13 things very often. <laughs> That there are that many factors that all combine to make things that much more difficult. Sounds more punishing than satisfying to me. I, I'm 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 with you on that. I would agree that that I guarantee that if I like put a bunch of time into this and figured out how to get good at it and like beat the game, I would be satisfied. I don't want to say like, oh, it was a waste of my time. It was blah blah blah. It, it wasn't like, I, I understand that if I, if I immerse myself in that experience and I do one of two things, I put a bunch of hours into it and just figure it all out and fine tune it. And like, let's be honest, it's not like there's RNG really in this game. When you send a scout to a location, you're getting the same items from that location every single time. When you go to this particular city, that's when the faith order choice happens or uh, one run I did, I didn't realize I was like didn't hadn't built the scout yet, and then like us one survivor came from that city. But again, that was like fifteen minutes into the run, and it caught me off guard, and and I for you know I wasn't realizing that was my objective that I had to do. So there, it's very consistent in sort of like what it's giving you to work with, but it is it's that perfection inside of it. It's it almost feels like being in an orchestra or or a or a, like a concert band where it just takes repetition and it takes muscle memory and it takes just knowing okay like at one point i was like i want to build a second automaton oh i know i need to go to that point from earlier to get another steam core so i can build a second automaton because you know the people themselves can't produce the materials i'm going to need quickly enough and i want a constant string of core and like I see where those gears start turning and it starts like I can see that I can see an enjoyable experience in this, not just for everyone, but just like I could see an enjoyable experience in this for me. If I decided to make that effort and put that amount of time into it and get really good at it and just do the repetition over and over and over and over again until I nail that perfect build. Um, I'm not a StarCraft player, so that's like never going to happen with me because 
I'll always forget something. And when I did play StarCraft, I wasn't a like, okay, we're going to do this very standard build thing. It was like, now nah, I'm going to go build a hatchery on your, on your first expansion because lols, I'm a Zerg player. Um, and I don't, I don't want to like, I don't want this, my comments to be like shitting on this game. I don't because I know there's, I know it's a good game. I know there's a good game in here. It's just that this moment of my life, I, I can't take the time to unwrap that. And I want to end on a very, very good note about the game because I think it does deserve that. The soundtrack for this game fucking bangs. I I stopped playing it and was cooking dinner that evening and I put the soundtrack on for the game because just the orchestral work that they did on it is so good. It is so much fun to listen to it. Like when I first started playing, booted up the game, I sat in the main menu for like five minutes just listening to the songs. I was like, oh yeah, that's that's really good. Like, oh yeah. And and I am a type of person that um I have gotten kind of sucked into certain game soundtracks. Um I bring up my favorite Assassin's Creed game, uh, uh, Rogue. Assassin's Creed Rogue has like an awesome main theme song that that I love very, very much. Um, I attribute the Halo soundtracks to sort of, uh, between that and between Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park, to sort of my uh, awakening of like the musical genres that I started listening to in my, in my teens and sort of helped create my own musical identity beyond, you know, the the rock and, you know, oldies that my dad listened to. Uh, so this soundtrack is really, really good. And if you decide you don't want to play the game because you don't like frustration or you don't have the time that you want to invest into it, I would absolutely look up the soundtrack and, and just give it a listen to because it is awesome. The production values sound great. It sounds like for people who like that sort of thing, it seems like the sort of thing that they will like. Absolutely. And if you like that sort of thing and you like Frostpunk, um, they announced back in August, you know, 2021, that uh, they're doing a Frostpunk 2. And I'm like, hey, maybe by then, uh, you know, by the time a second one comes out, I'll have the time and the energy to actually really give this the the once over that it really deserves and not just like four hours on a Monday uh, and, you know, I thought I'd really been like, I'm gonna play four hours on Monday, four hours on Tuesday, and we'll talk about this on Thursday when we report. And just on Tuesday, I just, I, I didn't want to play it. There was, it, I just didn't want to. So hopefully one day I'll, I'll really have the, the mindset to be able to give this what it deserves. But Chase, speaking about what people deserve, how is Danganronpa going? <laughs> Oh man, it's so funny to say what they deserve when you're talking about a series that is all about throwing their main characters into ultimate despair. Um, because I did play Danganronpa 2 Goodbye Despair. Uh, spoiler alert, despair does not go away. Uh, it's not that, that goodbye is meant very sarcastically uh, because that's the kind of game that we're playing here. Um, it's, it, it's a very interesting, um, you know, kind of a twist on the formula of the first game, right? It is still very much a killing game and it is still very much high school students, but it is uh, on an island now, an island resort that you have been brought to rather than uh, being stuck in a school. So it's a, you're still stranded, you know, it's an island. There's no real way to escape. Um, but you do have 
Uh, it's a much more colorful atmosphere, and it gives room for like every individual island has its own theme to it. So like there's one island that's uh, kind of your classic um, tourist stuff, right? There's uh, a music bar, there's a hotel, there's a you know a hospital, you know all the things that you would expect for like you know a city to run. Um, and then the third one island is just an amusement park. There's just straight up a fun house and roller coasters and and all of these other things. And then the final one uh, is uh, just, I, I guess, like dystopian factory aesthetics. Like the whole thing is very dark and gritty and things have clearly gone horribly wrong. Um, and kind of as you go through each uh, chapter, you unlock a new island, more things to explore. Bim, bam, boom. Um, for people who might remember... Last time around, this is a game in which uh, you are trying to solve these mysteries uh, because, of course, uh, the Monokuma, a uh, demonic teddy bear uh, whose identity I am not really going into because I don't want to spoil the first game uh, since I think that that's the entry point that people would want to go into. Uh, but Monokuma is, of course, back and the killing game rules are the same. Uh, to get off of the island and get to rejoin everybody, you need to successfully kill someone without getting caught. But the key is that now that there's been a first game, this game really evolves on that. All of the cases are substantially longer and substantially more nuanced. Like the first case, the tutorial case, has a halfway breakpoint um, because uh, there's so much to unpack and so many clues to go over. Um, there's a lot of, of nuance to it. Um, and the mechanics they've added to those class trials are really engaging. Um, during the nonstop debates, I mentioned last time that you have to shoot uh, incorrect statements with the right evidence from your truth gun. Um, but now you can also agree with someone. Uh, you shoot a consent bullet to say that there's evidence that backs up the thing that they just said. And you have to decide, based on the situation, which one of those things that you should be engaging with. Um, the Hangman's Gambit has been changed up. It's now worse. It's the one thing about the game that is worse than the original. It has these letters kind of flying across the screen, and you have to combine two of the same letter together and then shoot it in order to add it to the word. It just ramps up the difficulty and the speed at which you have to move for not a lot of value. Um, but you, uh, you know, the, uh, panic talk action, which is now what they call the, the bullet time battles, uh, are substantially better. Um, you have, uh, much more, uh, room to kind of hit the, the notes, uh, you know, in this kind of, uh, rhythm game of breaking someone down when they're unwilling to listen to reason. Um, and there's a lot more, uh, of a flow to it, a kind of escalation over time uh, that works out quite well. Uh, and they've included two new games. There's Logic Dive, which is, uh, they just threw in a skateboarding minigame in there. Uh, and you have to go through these paths that kind of look like, if anyone's ever played the Run Flash game, the backgrounds are kind of like that. There are obstacles you have to dodge and you have to pick the right path as your character kind of goes through the logic of how a certain scene played out and picking the right path means you get to the next section. If not, you kind of fall off the course and die. Uh, and there's a rebuttal showdown 
which is where uh, one character in the game starts arguing with you directly on a thing that you just said, and you have to kind of slash through their words uh, in order to get to the truth of the matter. And that both of those games, fantastic. Great additions to the series, add a different dynamic and a different way to engage with it in a way that's very fun. Um, it's just from a mechanical perspective, straight up better than the first game, with the exception of the improved, quote-unquote, Hangman's Gambit. Uh, and the mysteries overall, significantly better. And it's not to say that the mysteries in the first game were bad, just that these have a lot more room to breathe, and so you have a lot more twists and turns. And, and a couple of them are just heartbreaking, just downright gut punches in a way that the first game couldn't do because the first game um, didn't have the same length of the trial themselves. I say that they're, they're, I, I, someone's mad at me because I'm down talking a couple cases in the first game that are very touching and, and emotional, but it's in this game, there's a little bit more to it. You know, if the first game is just about hope versus despair and people give in to despair, which is why they participate in the killing game and you have to, kind of catch them and, and find out their their reasoning and, and learn about the despair that kind of took over. Here, a lot of the people committing the murders are doing so for grander reasons, these kind of philosophical choices within themselves, things that they believe in, their own kind of version of hope, which adds a lot more complexity and it makes it hit harder when things go wrong. I fell in love with so many of these characters in a way that, you know, in the first one, I liked a few of them, quite a few of them. Um, but I didn't necessarily love any of them outside of Monokuma and the villain that gets revealed. Here, several characters I absolutely fell in love with. And when I did my tier list uh, for a friend of mine who's going to be showing up, uh, hopefully on the podcast uh, when I talk about the final game in the trilogy, um, my tier list rankings, I was a full letter grade above with this cast versus the last cast. So all in all, a lot of things to love about this game. So I guess this is just sort of a little bit that I've sort of read about the games. It does feel like the second, the second game was not anticipated when they made the first game. It was that they were going to make the first game and like that was going to be it. And that, because of the success of the first game, that they were given a lot more leeway with the second game, which, I mean, once you prove a concept, you're given more time, you're given more resources, you're given more uh, trust that you're going to be able to execute on the vision again, improve on the things that need to be improved on, and ultimately make a better game, uh, which is, is what sounds like happens here. I, to me, it it is funny that the the previous game did not give as much uh, as much time and depth to the, uh, the the sort of mysteries itself because that seemed to be the big selling feature. Um, but the fact that they did like lengthen them for this game just kind of shows that maybe they weren't as confident that that style uh, was going to be effective for the first game. Uh, well, I honestly, it's budget. It's a hundred percent. The difference between game one and game two is budget. Um, the first game, no one knew how well it was going to sell, so they produced a, a 20 to 25 hour game. 
uh, the it sold great. So with the second one, they made it 30 to 35 hours. And that extra 10 hours of gameplay all got invested into giving us more time with some of these characters and more time into the trials themselves. So I, I wouldn't want to say that the first game uh, didn't try to invest that energy where it did, and I, or even imply that it didn't work, because as I said uh, the last time around, I did really like it, but you can tell like all of the production value went up for the second game, and it had a lot more room to explore things in a way that I'm sure if they could go back and do the first game again that they would have. And I will say, this one ties in a lot to the first game, and there is even an anime that wraps up kind of the story of these first two games combined. So there's much more of a cohesive vision with this game as a sequel to the first game that isn't necessarily there in the game that I'm going to talk about next episode. Um, that one really does stand on its own and, and seems to have been made because people really wanted a sequel. This one has a, a lot that it builds off of in a way that I think is satisfying. Understandable. Uh, that being said, uh, I got two more questions for you. Obviously, uh -huh. uh, who is your favorite character? Oh man! Oh, that's so so tough. Um, I you know what? It's a tie. Uh, there is uh, Chiaki Nanami, who is the ultimate gamer, um, who is kind of the uh, the <laughs> I hate using this word, but it, it you know the the waifu uh, of our, our main character kind of uh, that her whole thing. It's she's very sweet. She's very kind. There are some nuances with her that really develop well over time, and there's so much uh, to fall in love with. Um, she's really the heart and soul of the game in a way that's very satisfying. Um, my other one uh, is the uh, ultimate breeder, Nekomaru Nidai, um, because he presents himself as an embodiment of evil with his four dark devas of destruction, who are, of course, guinea pigs. Um, he has four guinea pigs that he loves very much, and it's it's wonderful. He is uh, he, Everything he says is grandiose and over-the-top and ridiculous, um, but he takes himself very seriously, so it all works really well. And the ultimate princess, Sonya Nevermind, ends up crushing on him. She's great, too. She would be a kind of in the, the next uh, tier down for me. Um, but seeing her kind of fall for this, uh, and his, this, this uh, ridiculous uh, animal lover uh, and uh, someone who loves the aesthetic of evil and his dark divas of destruction. Just mwah, wonderful. Love the character. Love the concept. That's a hell of a name, Sonia Nevermind. <laughs> Sonia Nevermind is great. Also, I'm going to get yelled at because I, I, I read a thing and then realized the guy I'm talking about there is Gundam Tanaka. Nekomaru Nidai is also wonderful. He is the ultimate uh, um, team manager. He's just over the top and ridiculous and fun. I don't know how I said the wrong name there. Um, Gundam Tanaka is the guy that I am talking about. Um, but other, please don't yell at me, Danganronpa 2 fans. I caught my mistake. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, look, looking at the plot synopsis, I can figure out how you confuse the two characters. Um, 
But that being said, you should never, ever, ever confuse who you killed in high school, Chase. Who was it? Oh, uh, look, I buried that secret long ago, and you will have to take it from my cold, dead body, Walter. Um, but I, I will say, I, I do want to talk about one thing, and this is going to be the first time that I tell people, uh, spoiler alert, because I feel like I have to for this one, um, because it's my favorite thing about the game, and I can't talk about it without mentioning this. So... Uh, if you are listening, you do not want to be spoiled for any element of Danganronpa 2, which I recommend that you don't because the game is wonderful and absolutely worth your time. Skip about two minutes ahead from here. I promise I'll be wrapped up with it by then. Okay, now that you have had a chance to do that, you cannot blame me if you are spoiled here. Uh, the big twist of this game, uh, in the first game, there is uh, a... a uh, being known as the ultimate despair and and she is a high school student that uh, basically convinces everyone to fall into despair in the entire world and leads to this like pseudo apocalypse uh, the worst most tragic most awful event in human history um, and she has the seeds of despair which are kind of her underlings that are making all of this happen and carry out her bidding after her death and it turns out that all of the characters that you've gotten to know and love on the island are the remnants of despair. They are the evil people that got corrupted by this ultimate despair and as a result um, are, you know, became these villains that helped destroy the entire world. And this whole world that they're playing in is a simulation uh, that is meant to try to bring their memories back to before they got brainwashed and before they came these villains. So people like Gundam Tanaka make a lot more sense when you see like, oh yeah, he's totally someone that could be convinced to be a villain if you broke him the wrong way. All of the characters are like that. And to me, it makes a more interesting cast because it means that every character can have a bit more of a bite to them. You know, they're, they're all people who have the capacity for great things and have the capacity for evil. And the game gets to explore that theme in a way that's really, really well done. I'm, I'm not going to say anything else because this is the two minute mark. And I promised people no more spoilers from this point forward. You have successfully emerged from the spoiler zone. Um, God, I love this game, man. It's so good. So good. Vader is Luke's father. <laughs> Oh man, Snape killed Dumbledore too, right? I'm pretty sure. Uh, how many, uh, how many others can we fit in there? Uh, um, I see dead people. He's dead all along. Uh, okay, yeah, that that's good. Uh, other spoilers. Other spoilers. Other spoilers. Um, uh, uh, Neo doesn't die uh, at the end of Matrix Three. It turns out there's a whole fourth film. <laughs> um, he makes it through. <laughs> I'm on the you spot. may have heard about it i'm on the spot here well you you've talked to me kind of out you know inside baseball outside the podcast about these games and it seems you're really enjoying them and um i'm i'm happy for you it does seem like again like as i said in the first one like i don't have a lot of experience with the games like personally i've never played them and probably wouldn't um, but just from like what I've watched, it seems like interesting enough. I would say probably like the detective, uh, class trial aspect of it is interesting to me. And, and the fact that they were able to put, you know, way more 
time and money and effort into making really, really good um, mysteries for you to have to figure out is, is a plus because, you know, a detective story is only as good as its mysteries. And if you have shitty mysteries that either you don't care about finding out the solution or it's too easy, you know, what's what's the point of being a detective? Um, that being said, you, you've played two games. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you could nitpick that you were like, man, I really wish they would have improved this from game one to game two or even, you know, from game one to game two to potentially game three? Um, yeah, so, uh, other than the, uh, Hangman's Gambit, which calls itself improved, but is straight up worse than the original, um, the only other thing I would nitpick is that the game has substantially increased its quote-unquote fan service. And people will have different tolerances for fan service and the more, like, super anime oh japan kind of moments um i don't have a huge amount of tolerance for it if it's not furthering the narrative and um that there is a, a lot of that that is put upon a character whose backstory is otherwise quite tragic and it leads to a little bit of a cognitive dissonance that i don't love i, I think that it would have been better had it not fallen into that um but i also am the kind of person i'd like you've known me for a long time how many sex jokes have i ever made to you walter my entire life knowing you not a lot i don't know if i've made any it's not my type of humor and i feel uncomfortable with it um but i you know i i don't think that that's inherently bad that's why it's in the nitpick section i suppose um but there, there's also a character whose entire character trait is that uh, he is a sex creep. That's his whole thing. He's a chef, and he is incredibly obnoxious in how uh, he hits on every woman that moves. And I have no interest in that character, and I did not spend more time with them than I had to. Um, it's just... It was a character made to be hated, and I sure did. Um, But, you know, uh, overall, again, this cast is just a step above the cast from the first game. The mysteries are given more time to breathe and are stronger for it. And I, I think that the mystery that it sets up, the ultimate mystery of who these kids are and why they are there and what is going on with the world that they are in is even better executed than the first game. Now, when we get to the third game, I have some very strong feelings that are not nearly as coherently positive. There, We will get to that on the next episode of Steam Cleaners, but I believe that that is where we're going to wrap up today with that little bit of a teaser thrown in there at the end. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? Uh, you guys can uh, find me at C80s underscore LOL, where I give out interesting facts like Danganronpa 2 sold 69,000 copies during its first week on sale in Japan. Nice. It sure did. That is, that is a very nice fun fact. 
Um, and uh, you can follow me uh, for less fun facts, to be quite honest, knowing what my feed looks like. Uh, but you can follow me all the same at Chase Wassener on Twitter. You can follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. That is the home for all of the shows that we do on the Rough Drafts Podcast Network, which include, of course, this uh, Final Cut, which is the movie podcast uh, that, that Walter takes the hosting reins for. Uh, that's been a lot of fun to do. Uh, a, a, an upcoming wrestling project, Narrative Enhancements, that we're very excited to debut sometime in February, theoretically. And uh, the return of K-pop shenanigans, which not a show that is for everybody, but if you've been looking for more K-pop and you want to talk about it with some some friends that uh, have listened to way too much of it, that is a show for you. So hopefully uh, you find all of this uh, enjoyable and something to look forward to. But if you don't, don't worry. We've got individual feeds for each of our shows so you can pick just what you want for yourself. Because we're helpers here. We want to give you give the people what they want isn't that what we 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 used to steal all the time from uh the bill simmons and and jalen rose absolutely Um, absolutely we got to give the people what they want and and yeah we're helpers we're not you know high school classmate killers chase we are we are (laughs) look man if you you're gonna um you're gonna wish you stopped asking me these questions if you keep this line of questioning up that's all i have to say about that Uh, Until next time, goodbye, Internet.